this time on episode 304 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We discuss Cloak and Dagger Season 1 Episode 3, Stained Glass, and Episode 4, Call Response. We also discuss weekly Marvel news and your feedback. I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom. Part of the Gunner Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnerGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. Now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Lauren. And I'm Agent Michelle. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show. The show is recorded on Sunday, October 20th, 2019, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast worldwide via www.geeks.live. Come and join our live chat and interact with us as we record. Ladies, happy National Brandied Fruit Day. Woo! Okay, talk about brandy and fruit. So my Uncle Jerry was in Vietnam, and my grandmother would always send care packages, and one of the things she sent was a fruit cake. And what my uncle did was he had brandy and he popped open the fruitcake and he poured the brandy in and then closed it up. So I guess in a way he made his own brandied fruit. But in this case, it was a brandied fruit cake. I mean, ingenuity is the mother of invention. Yes. I know words. <laughs> Did you get to partake in the brandied fruit cake? Well, this was when he was in the Vietnam War. Oh. I wasn't even a thought on anyone's mind, but my grandmother, she always sent care packages and he was very popular among his uh, (laughs) fellow soldiers because she kept sending care packages. My mother remembers staying up at night and helping her package these things. And so she was constantly sending socks and magazines and just whatever she could put in there and, and everything. That's awesome. Yeah, it means a lot to forward deployed personnel even today. So congratulations to your mom and to your grandmother for making a lot of soldiers happy. So if anybody has any other experience with brandied fruit, we'd appreciate because honestly, other than the fruitcake story, none of us have experienced brandied fruit except Lauren, you ran into something, right? Yeah, I was looking to see what exactly brandied fruit is and what it's used for. It's basically just fruit soaked in brandy and left there for a bit to let the brandy absorb, kind of like you would with like a vodka watermelon or vodka gummy bears, but with brandy and fruit. So technically, I guess maraschino cherries are a brandied fruit because you get the maraschino liqueur and I think it's a type of brandy. I don't know. And you soak a bunch of cherries with it and actual real maraschino cherries and not the, you know, bright red things that you buy in the store. I guess would count. Oh, so if you go to an ice cream place and get a sundae, you're not having brandied fruit. Yeah, I guess not because uh, they don't like to give to kids. All right. Well, good to know. I was going to say I've had many a brandied fruit now that I knew what it was, but I guess not because it's not the bright red cherries. Oh, okay. No, maraschino is a liqueur, not a brandy. So never mind, but it's the same principle. Okay. Well, we look forward to learning more about this delicacy. In the meantime, we're going to move on with the rest of the show. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a fan-based podcast on the ABC television show Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the multiple Marvel small screen series, and the Marvel cinematic and comic book universes in general. Because of 3D printed voodoo dolls. If you'd like to talk to us about 3D printing, you can visit our website, legendsofshield.com. If you'd like to tell us about your modernization of old techniques, you can call our voicemail at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. You can find us on Facebook, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
You can see our videos on YouTube, www.youtube.com slash gunnageek. You can tell your Amazon device to enable the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. skill. You can join our Discord server chat at gunnageek.com slash discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network. Engine Haley isn't with us tonight. She is on assignment in uh, some state that doesn't actually have that many people in it. But she is on assignment, so we will hopefully see her again next week. In the meantime, let's get into the main event for this show, Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and Dagger, episode three and four, they aired on Freeform, which is the old ABC Family Channel, on June 14th and June 21st, 2018. Michelle, why don't you run down episode three, Stained Glass? Okay, Stained Glass was directed by Peter Hoare, has 24 directing credits starting in 2004, including Eight Grange Hill, Five Wire in the Blood, One Doctor Who, Two Silk, Nine of Da Vinci's Demons, Three Daredevil, One Iron Fist, One Defenders, One of the Runaways, One Cloak and Dagger, and Two of the Umbrella Academy. This episode had a story by and teleplay. So the story was by Ariella Ledger and Don Kamochi. Both of them are co-producers on Cloak and Dagger. They actually have two producing credits each starting in 2018, nine episodes of Cloak and Dagger and 13 episodes of The Gifted. The teleplay was by Peter Calloway, has seven writing credits starting in 2010, including Four Brothers and Sisters, Two Hellcats, Six Under the Dome, Two Legion, Five Cloak and Dagger, and actually did a teleplay for one of the American Gods episodes. Lauren, why don't you run down the creative team for episode four, Call and Response. Okay, this episode was directed by Amy Cannon Mann, who has 21 directing credits starting in 2001, including one of Friday Night Lights, one of The Blacklist, one of Chicago Med, one of Sneaky Pete, one of Power, one of Runaways, one of Deadly Class, and two episodes of Cloak and Dagger. The episode was also written by a team consisting of Christine Boylan and Marcus J. Gilroy. Christine has 10 writing credits starting in 2008, including six of Leverage, one of Castle, five of Once Upon a Time, two of Constantine, two of Cloak and Dagger, and two of The Punisher. She was also a co-executive producer for The Punisher, and Cloak and Dagger, and Constantine, and Once Upon a Time. And Marcus J. Gilroy has seven writing credits starting in 2009 with one of the breaks, 10 episodes of Cloak and Dagger, and one of Empire. And the Cloak and Dagger comics were written by Bill Mantlo and Ed Hannigan, or at least created by. So these two episodes are very interesting. Last episode, we were having a heck of a time trying to explain the powers of the individuals or what they had going on between Tandy and Tyrone. This episode or these two episodes, we get a lot into that. So slow to get into it. But by the end of the fourth episode, we have an initial idea of where they are at, which is great. And the episode Stained Glass, it really revolved around visions that they were having of each other now michelle would you care to explain a little bit of what what was going on there okay so both of them had a state of a clear mind tandy ended up basically getting her head in the crash she hits her head and she has a concussion and as we learn from uh chantel when you have a clear state of mind from a concussion or from something similar, you can end up having visions. And with Tyrone, he ended up taking this soul cleansing bath. And because these events were happening at the same time, they were able to see visions of each other. And we learned that Tandy is actually seeing visions of basically sort of like Tyrone's hopes and Tyrone's seeing Tandy's fears and we sort of learn a little bit more about like the patterns that they have, how Tandy's with the Roxxon Corporation and with Tyrone, it's a lot of about 
with his brother and trying to get justice with his brother. Yeah, Billy, his brother, and, and figuring out what happened there. There was a statement made to walk in the land of Loa. And is that part of voodoo, land of Loa? Okay. So the Loa are basically a fusion of Catholic saints and African, particularly Yoruba gods. So you have like Papa Legba, who is kind of similar to Elegba from Yoruba religion. You have Oya, you have Ocean, and all of them are responsible for different domains, basically. Like Papa Legba is sort of the gatekeeper between life and death, that sort of thing. If you've ever seen The Princess and the Frog, Dr. Facilier is wearing that top hat and the skull makeup at one point. And that is always how Papa Legba is portrayed. So the land of Loa would be their realm, where they're from. It's sort of a otherworldly type of place. Voodoo religion is fascinating. So this allows both of them to experience these visions and, and look into each other's lives, basically, and, and find out what's going on with their clear state of mind that they have. One of the interesting things is Tyrone's. Not his girlfriend, but she is a girl that is interested in him. He's not quite sure what to call her. And honestly, I'm not either because she's just very interested in him. Anyway, she brings him on her after work or after school job, basically, which is a voodoo tour. And Michelle, you've actually experienced a tour like this, right? Yes. Back when I was 16, mom and my mom and I, we went to New Orleans. And I wanted to go into, you know, one of the voodoo shops and do a tour. Well, I ended up going into one of the shops. And the way the sign was written, it was very much like a touristy trap. It made it seem like you get the tour of the museum and the tour for a certain amount of price. Find out it was two different sets of prices. And, well, back then, $20 was a lot when I was 16. So not, you know, like, not like now. And the museum was not, it was awful. It was just a few trinkets and a snake. So it was just awful. It wasn't as good as it is on the show. Like that was, you know, a good one. The one I went to, crap. So when we walked out, it was a very narrow and walked out. And I ended up seeing a group of people and I ended up going there. And the woman was like, are you here for the tour? And I said, yes. And so we ended up on the tour and my mom, at first I felt proud of myself, but then my mom gave me this look and then I slowly realized that she wasn't impressed that her 16 year old just sort of conned their way onto a tour. But after that, it was amazing. Learned why the houses were built the way they are in New Orleans and like where the slaves were kept and how the kitchens were. Went and learned how uh, like the cathedral that's there in the French Quarter, even though it's Catholic, you can see like the little voodoo influences in the way the cross is. Uh, went to all of these like statues with these saints, learned how, you know, the voodoo and the Catholicism really does blend together. And it ended on Laveau's tomb. And when we got there, um, when I did it, uh, had to leave a little offering. So I left a penny and did the X and did the circle thing and made my wish. I'm still alive. So I guess technically, because I remember, I remember I wanted a, I think I said decent life or something like I was 16. So I didn't ask, ask for anything big. I just wanted, and considering some of the things I've done in my life and the fact I'm not dead or in jail, I think I've made it pretty well. So thank you. Miss Laveau? Thank you indeed, because yep. if you weren't here, you wouldn't be a co-host on the show. Exactly. And for those who don't know, Marie Laveau was considered the voodoo queen of New Orleans, and her tomb is still, like Michelle said, a tourist attraction, a point of kind of worship, and yeah, just it's fascinating. The, the legends about Marie Laveau are incredible. I like the one that she didn't really die. She just floated out of New Orleans on a on a log. I'm still a little at a loss why this girl, I can't remember her name for the life of me right now, why she is 
enthralled with Tyrone. Maybe it's just because she had an inkling because she was into this sort of mystique. But I don't Come know. Come on. Evita, they're teenagers. I think she just finds Tyrone. I mean, they're what, 17 or something? I mean, it's one 17 year old looking at another 17 year old. And I don't think they just met. I think they've known each other. Yeah, she's a cheerleader. He's on the basketball team. Okay. And add to that, I was looking very deliberately at a lot of the scenes at St. Sebastian's Prep. They seem to be two of, if not the only two, black students at that school. Because it's a prep school, it's largely white, which in New Orleans, which is, you know, a city with a lot of African heritage and everything like that. I mean, that kind of tells you a lot. So it could be one of those, okay, let's stick together. He's also, they're both very attractive people. Uh, I think later on, Tandy's talking to him and she says, how are you still single with those eyes? And he does have really beautiful eyes and like these gorgeous long eyelashes. But yeah, it could also be a little bit of that sort of otherworldly pull since she's somebody who is close to voodoo. And from what we're seeing, these powers, if they are not actually voodoo given, they are kind of voodoo adjacent. I think it's worth to note as well, as long as we're talking about St. Sebastian's prep, is that the priest, Tyrone, went to go see the priest. He was not there, and we did not get to see the priest in either of these two episodes. We're going to see him again, but we did not see him at all. I think a key character in all this, especially what we saw in episode two with his, um, I'm not going to say alcoholism, but he he definitely was hiding the fact that he was drinking. So I'm pretty sure we're going to see him again. Did not see him in either of these two episodes. Along with what is going on with Tandy and Tyrone, you have what Tandy had experienced at the end of the previous episode, episode two, with the attempted rape by, I can't remember his name, the, the rich boy, basically. And you had Detective O'Reilly trying to investigate it and really trying. She doesn't know what else Tandy has been doing, but she is trying to solve this crime. And then the vice cop Connors basically opens and shuts the case for her and says, time to move on. So she can't go any further here. So you've seen a little bit of the corruption that is within at least Connors group inside the police force. So while I am extremely over rape being used as a plot device. I will say that this did bring up two very important things. One, I don't know if you're aware, but the New Orleans Police Department is, I think, as of a few years ago, it was actually considered a um, a danger to the public because of the amount of corruption and everything that went on there. I think they might still be considered a danger to the public because of this. I haven't checked lately. It's basically, if there is a police-involved shooting in New Orleans, you kind of need to go out of state to get a, um, a, an impartial autopsy. But anyway, so we see a little bit of that. We also see what's addressed later on in the episodes where they're talking about the intersection of you know class and race and privilege. And despite the fact that Tandy is a pretty white girl, she's low class. So therefore, you know, this this rich upper class kid can basically get away with assaulting her like that. And she brings that up when Tyrone is bringing up the fact that, I mean, they're, they, they made it out of the ward they were originally in, his parents and him. I'm guessing maybe with police settlement money, I don't know, but it's kind of implied that that was sort of the delineation. But whatever happened, they're out of there. They're sending him to this rich prep school. He is on his best behavior all the time, and he's still terrified of being shot by the police just because he looks like himself. Yeah, he actually goes to the police station to try to get information on this guy, Connors, who you've seen because he's been transporting back and forth. And he fakes the theft of his own bike in the process, which gets him into trouble with his father later, which leads to something else we'll talk about in a second. But he does end up going back and he does end up being not as afraid. However, 
he does realize still what his place in the world is basically in New Orleans, at least at this time. It's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate, but it is something that is brought up in the episode. So this show is getting really deep, really fast. I'm really liking a lot of the changes that they've made. So in the comics, it takes place in New York. Tandy is the rich, upper-class person, and Tyrone is the poor kind of hustler. What they did here, first of all, by moving it to New Orleans, the culture of New Orleans, because it's so very uh, divided between black and white, rich and poor, the people who could afford to leave during Katrina and the people who couldn't, it's a city of dichotomies, which the show explores with the whole dichotomy between light and dark, hope and fear. And also by switching their backgrounds, they're able to more in depth go into these intersections of race, class, gender, and privilege, which that discussion, the whole discussion with Tyrone and Tandy, where he says, check your privilege. And she's like, what? Okay. I want to right here, give a small crash course on privilege. Privilege is not, oh, I've had it so easy. Everything's been handed to me. What privilege is, the sociological concept of privilege, is the things that you don't have to think about in your daily life. I have white passing privilege. I have cis privilege. I have class privilege. And all that means is because of how I look, how I was born, how I identify, where I am, there's a lot of things I don't have to think about. It doesn't mean that your life is super easy. Privilege is as Something as small as, okay, I want to put on a Band-Aid. All the flesh-colored Band-Aids are way too light for me. Just another example that I'm not the norm, or I'm not what's considered the norm. So this show is doing a really good job of looking into all of this. It's one of the things that I like about comics and sci-fi, is being able to look at these real-world things kind of slightly from the side. Now, Michelle, in the course of the first episode, we have both Tandy and Tyrone getting visions of each other, basically understanding where they're at, where their powers are coming from. But then they talk it out in the second episode. And I think it was really interesting how the second episode was done in uh, not stink glass, but in uh, call response, because you had kind of a flash forward, flashback scenario going on where they were talking in the church that Tandy is staying in. And yet the scene was going back and forth to what they were doing afterwards. I thought it was really neat how they pulled that whole thing together in the second episode with their talk basically spanning the entire episode. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting how, you know, like you said, it jumps in time, it jumps in point of view, and we get her view and then it rolls back and then it's his. And it's just one of the things, you know, it's called call response. And it's like they would talk about something and that's like the call and their response is what we see, what they've done. And that's just sort of like one interpretation of the title. In the process of the second episode, Tyrone does fake the stolen bicycle, but then his dad finds out that the bolt cutters are gone, finds them in his backpack, and he doesn't press them any further on what's going on. I don't know if he takes him in as his word that it wasn't what he was thinking of, but then something really interesting happened that I was taken complete surprise by, and I thought it was really well done. But Lauren, you have something to say about what was going on there. Okay, so Tyrone's dad, what I'm guessing it is, is he sees his son as he thinks it acting out and is like, well, again, like we talked about, he's one of the few, the very few black kids at the school. He's the only black kid on the basketball team. For all the dad knows, he's acting out, feeling something. He takes him, instead of punishing him, instead of anything like that, he takes him to, there's a group in New Orleans called the Mardi Gras Indians. And it's a largely, it's pretty much all black males, black men who are in these in these crews. If you know anything about Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras crews are a huge deal. And a lot of there there's I think 28 something like that. There's a whole bunch of these tribes of the Mardi Gras Indian Nation and 
some of them have names like, you know, the Seventh Ward, whatever. He was part of, I think it was the, the Red Hawk Hunters. And what they do, what the actual Mardi Gras Indians do, it's um, a lot of pageantry. They dress up in these like big Native American inspired regalia costumes going back to the, the late 1740s and 1750s, where a lot of enslaved black people fled to the bayous where they encountered and lived among Native Americans. So this pageantry is kind of a way to sort of settle grudges. You have the big chief who will decide where the group's going to go on parade. And it's not just during Mardi Gras. There's a bunch of different saint stays and stuff like that where this happens. And the spy boys, which we find out what Tyrone's dad and Tyrone's brother, Billy, had been training to be. What they're supposed to do is they actually dress casually. They don't dress in costumes. And they begin the, the procession. So they can move quickly in a case of emergency as opposed to the people in like the huge, big costumes. Then comes the first flag, which is an ornately dressed man carrying a token tribe flag. And you also have, along with the big chief, you have the wild man who usually carries a symbolic weapon. And while they're parading, they're also dancing and singing traditional songs. Like we see here, it's a lot of, it's a lot of ritual. The kind of call response going between Tyrone's dad and presumably the big chief of that group. Today, I love this so much on the Wikipedia article. Today, the Mardi Gras Indians are not plagued by violence, but instead they base their fights over the prettiness of their suits. So it's kind of settling neighborhood grudges and stuff with sort of peacocking, really. And you can see representations of this not only on this show, but in Treme, which is a show on HBO that took place in New Orleans post-Katrina, and in um, Beyonce's Lemonade whole thing. There's an um, Indian dancer there. So the tribe that Tyrone's family is a part of, they're called the Wild Red Hawks, who so were close. Okay. There's like five on Wikipedia wild blank tribes, and then the Red Hawk Hunters. They probably matched it up for the show. And then the other thing that you were talking about of settling disputes, the vision that Tyrone had was the duels in the previous episode. So I can only imagine there was in the early days in New Orleans, some dueling that was going on and it was a way of settling. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, in the previous episode, I think where uh, Evita said that New Orleans used to be the dueling capital of the world. I don't know if it's the dueling capital of the world. But it certainly saw its share of dual-caused bloodshed back in the day. There's so many good ghost stories about that. And that led to both Tyrone and Tandy in, in the first episode of Stained Glass that we watched this week to say, I have to do something different. Otherwise, I'm going to end up in the same spot. So the two of them together are changing the course of the future through encouraging each other to do something different which is great tyrone's working through fears tandy is working through hopes and we'll see where that gets now you mentioned something interesting lauren you mentioned that they dressed up in in costumes and michelle you wanted to talk about the cloak that tyrone pulled out of the wardrobe yes when tyrone's father is accepted learn about how they create their costumes with beating how they need to focus and be careful. And, you know, like if you get a bead wrong, you have to undo it. And there's a room full of unfinished cloaks, you know, ones that have been discarded. And they just let him go in there. And he goes in there and he brings out this black cloak with a little bit of beading. And his father's like, you no, take that back. And he's just like, why? It, it spoke to me. Why can't I, you know, it was in the room. You told me I can get something from the room. And find out it was what billy was starting i really like the cloak it's obviously you know cloak and dagger we see where this is going but i, I did like the cloak it was not too overstated but it was definitely still sparkly and i can't wait to see what his finished version looks like i can only think it's going to be part of his character as he's going on 
So one other undermining thing that's going throughout all this is what was going on with Roxxon. We still don't know exactly what's going on with Roxxon. Obviously, it affects Tandy a little bit more what's going on with her mom. Her mom's boyfriend, Greg, is a lawyer, is following the suits, and you get Tandy actually working with Greg to follow this to the future, and she gets her vision of the hope of Greg and what Greg wants to uh, continue a relationship, basically, with Tandy's mom, which I believe her name is Michelle. And uh, unfortunately, throughout the whole thing, there's a fortunate and unfortunate. So unfortunately, uh, Greg is killed in his office and the office is torched at the end of the second episode we watched call and response but tandy was able to see that he was storing some things in a safe which withstood the fire and she uses her powers to get in the safe don't know exactly what was in there but i can only think that is going to spur her investigation of roxanne a little bit more was there anything else i missed there michelle yeah, it was interesting. You know, her mom, uh, Melissa, has obviously gone through many different men. And Tandy is like, well, this has to be just another married loser. And when Tandy sees that, she feels that. And then, you know, she feels bad. She goes and she tries to help Greg and then sees him get shot. And she goes home and Melissa had broken up. But then she is calling again. Can we give it a shot? I've left you six messages and I'm sure it's going to break her heart when she finds out Greg is dead. Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate because she's really been through the ringer with what's going on with her husband. And then she basically pushed Greg out of their house because he had to deal with a phone call from his wife. And he's basically stated that they're all but done. I can only assume that that was the truth from everything else that was going on. And she wanted to uh, apologize to him and she's never going to get the chance basically because uh, Greg is gone. It's comic book show. So nobody's ever really dead. But I think in this particular case, I don't think we're going to see Greg anymore. Yeah. Considering that I was about to say this show's a bit more grounded in reality, but we're dealing with voodoo and we're dealing with teleporting and, you know, producing light and dark energy from out of nowhere. So it's not really that grounded, but it's, Maybe a little more grounded than the movies or definitely the comics where, yes, nobody's really dead unless you see the corpse. And even then, uh, nine tenths of the time. Mm. Oftentimes I I look back at the um, young actors and actresses that are used to play the littler kids of oneself in these. And I think they did a really good job. I think we've seen them in probably all four of the episodes. I can't remember exactly. Uh, if that's true or not, but I think they've been used very well and has, I, I don't know how much we'll get in the future because I think we've got the groundwork going for them already, but I think it was well done with the show. So I just want to congratulate the uh, creative team behind the show and the actors themselves on uh, what a great job that they did. So we do get Tandy trying to basically commit suicide. She goes to the lake and she wraps some chains around her legs and, and ties her hands, her wrists together with rope and then goes over. And then the dagger comes out and basically rescues her. And I think that was the manifestation to Tandy to tell her that you need to progress onward. Even though everything bad that's happened, you need to progress onward. And she goes back to the Greg's office and gets into the safe at that point. So that's where the episode ends. And I'm looking forward to what happens in the future. I have not watched any further. I know that Lauren, you've seen a couple episodes of Michelle. Of course, you've seen all of it so far. So I am looking forward to the future. I don't necessarily have any specific prognostications of what's going to happen, but I do think that this embattlement with Roxon is going to continue as well as Tandy's war that she is now involved in with the rich kids i don't think that's done yet and i think detective o'reilly is going to be uh, very much intertwined in everything going on speaking of intertwined i don't know if y'all covered it when y'all discussed the first two episodes but the uh hashtag it's all connected nature of the show particular okay so o'reilly is very briefly mentioned in an episode of Luke Cage, 
where Misty says that her friend O'Reilly transferred down to New Orleans. And yes, this is supposed to be that O'Reilly. We have Roxanne, which is taking one of the bigger roles in the shows. And I was, I spoiled myself, but there's uh, some references later on to like Rand Industries and Luke Cage and Misty Knight. And yeah, this show was supposed to be one of the Netflix shows. But then when they were like, oh no, we're going to take all of our stuff and move it to Disney channels, they toned it down to put it on Freeform. We have just a few weeks before Disney Plus comes online, and we do have the very, 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 very long list of everything that is going to be on Disney Plus. The Netflix shows are not being ported over yet. I don't know when that contract ends with Netflix, so Marvel can take it over to Disney Plus. But yes, I think that they were still trying to construct a universe, and we'll see what happens in the future here. So. Michelle, we got Sting Glass and Call and Response. You got anything else you want to talk about in these episodes? It's interesting how they mention that they both have survivor's guilt and how that connects them. And it's very interesting as I guess they're connected, but when they sometimes get too close to each other, they can blow each other to opposite sides of the room. Oh, that was fantastic. Where they just touch and then they... Just go their powers are activated when they touch somebody else. But if they touch each other, it is an explosion, which I could think they could use in a fight, maybe. But aside from that, I wouldn't want to deal with that on on any given day. I mean, uh, Lauren, you know, when you touch Tonks, I mean, that happens all the time, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, just all the time. Just or, or that would just be Tonks's residual state. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's more the. He's so fluffy that sometimes he gets staticked. Oh, it is getting that time of the year, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. How do the cat? You do have cats. I used to have a dog, which didn't care for the static electricity. How do the cats like the static electricity? That starts they do not. Yeah. <laughs> Although, if you want to do something really funny uh, or see something really funny, look up cats static electricity balloons. And it's just people like rubbing balloons on their cats and then the balloons just stick to them. And the cat's like, what's going on? One of my favorite cat videos of all time was one that you sent me, Lauren, and it had to deal with the cats that were licking their ice cream cones. Oh, that one where the cats are getting brain freeze or they're licking it, licking it. Ah! <laughs> and they don't stop. They don't stop until it gets too late. And I feel so bad for the cats. But oh, man, their their faces. That the joys make. of cat ownership include laughing at your cat. So you're fine. OK. Well, unless there's anything else next week, we're going to be talking about Cloak and Dagger season one, episode five and six. Princeton offense and funhouse mirrors. And once again, if you have anything that you want to say about cloak and dagger, we're trying to stay spoiler free up to the episodes that we watch in any given particular week, but please let us know what you think about our coverage of it and what you think about cloak and dagger as well as we run into the runaways season three, which is in a couple months in December here. Well, we have some news this week, and we're going to start off by basically talking about how it's Kevin Feige's world and we're just living in it. <laughs> yes, Kevin Feige has been named Chief Creative Officer of Marvel. In addition to the movies, he's now going to be responsible for the overall creative direction of Marvel storytelling across mediums, including publishing, i.e. comics, film, TV, and animation. Now, what about Jeff Loeb, you may be asking? Well, two weeks ago, Variety reported on a growing perception in the industry that Marvel Television, under Jeff Loeb specifically, was slowly being phased out of live-action television projects. In the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. San Diego Comic-Con panel, Jeff Loeb was there. He was basically running the panel as the, the head of Marvel in the panel. And I'm not surprised that he's being phased out from that because as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., goes away next year then i don't see any new creative products creative tv shows that he's been involved in yeah the article actually goes into that and the fact that most of the live action tv shows have been canceled or uh, are coming to an end and 
it looks like, given the slate of the stuff that's going to be going up on Disney+, Plus, that they're focusing more on animation. I don't know if it's because of cost, because of whatever deals they have. I don't know. But it's looking more and more like animation on Disney Plus is where Marvel is seeing their television future at. That's not surprising. You take a look at what's happened with Star Wars, with Rebels and with what's the current one? Resistance. Resistance. Which has a new episode tonight. Yeah. I one week behind, so I need to get caught up with that. But I have enjoyed it so far. No, I scratch that. I've seen both the episodes out. Episode three airs tonight. And even though Star Wars has live action coming up, The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, they have largely been living through on TV anyway, through animation. Clone Wars, Rebels, and the Resistance. Resistance. Thank you very much. I, I keep on wanting to go rebellion with that. I always stuff. say I always keep calling it Rebels, because I'm so used to Rebels and it starts with an R. So Rebels was what, four seasons or five? It was four. I, yeah. And then, uh, unfortunately, this one is only two seasons. They said two and done. And when you take a look at the timeline that they're looking at, it's going to be it. I understand why, but that doesn't mean I have to like it. I know. <laughs> I was shocked that we got to the point at the end of season one and they showed the event at the end of season one, right? That clearly grounded in the timeline of, of the series. So, yeah, I can only imagine how many episodes that they really have left there the other thing that i want to say about kevin feige is he was just announced to have one up ep- one movie i want to say episode in the star wars franchise and a lot of the speculation was oh they're moving him over to take kathleen kennedy's space and unfortunately i said at the time that kevin feige is too useful to disney as the head of marvel and then with this announcement obviously he's still very useful for marvel because he's it so i just don't see him moving over there i actually think it was more two things and we'll get the eventual story at some point in time this is just sp speculation here is that one he wanted to do it for his own fun and i will say fun because i think he just wanted to do something else other than marvel just for a one-off as as fun and two because they were using it as a negotiation tactic with sony over the whole spider-man thing is saying kevin feige is busy doing other projects here's an example he's taking over star wars so publicly at least it fit the mantra so again just speculation on my part but it fits the bill so he is definitely all in with marvel i don't think he's going in anywhere i don't think he's taking over star wars and there's no way somebody could do both star wars and marvel at this point in time so no i don't think he's taking over star wars it's just my assessment in our next piece of news venom 2 is actually a thing (laughs) indeed so i liked venom the first one i have i'm on record on this podcast as having liked it and venom 2 is continuing to make me interested so far they are going to be diving deep into symbiote lore and have cast naomi harris as shriek now, Naomi, Naomi Harris, she's currently Money Penny in the new Daniel Craig Bond movies. She was in um, the second and third Pirates of the Caribbean movies as a voodoo priestess, again, bringing it back. And what Shriek is, is she is a mutant who gets a symbiote and is also a love interest for Carnage, who we know, based on the shawarma from Venom, the first one is going to be played by Woody Harrelson in a terrible wig. And what Shriek is, she's a mutant with sound manipulation abilities and a deep love for both killing and carnage. I'll have to see on whether I see this in the theater right now. I'm not interested in seeing any of the Spider-Man side IP from Sony in the theater, but who knows? Maybe you can convince me to, Lauren. Yeah, I'm really hoping that they keep kind of the weird, I'm going to use the Tumblr term for it, monster fracker vibe of the first one. And from what it sounds like, it sounds like it's going to be going deep onto that end with the whole street carnage angle. So I'm curious. I'm a little, I'm cautiously excited, but I'm mostly kind of curious and like, oh, this is going to be fun. We'll see. We'll see indeed. And that's the extent of our news for the week.
we have some feedback this week. We're going to start with Twitter, and we heard from at 084. Yep. In response to the whole Kevin Feige getting all of the Marvel jobs, 084 said, I really need to figure out a way to bribe him to keep Runaways and Cloak and Dagger going. And honestly, same. Yeah, we'll see what happens there uh, with Disney Plus. I'm not sure what the plan is to move forward with these shows, which are not, neither of them are on Disney Plus. You got Hulu and Freeform. So I don't know. We'll see. Well, Hulu is a big part of the buy that Disney did. So we have a chance for Runaways. I'm concerned we haven't heard a renewal announcement for Cloak and Dagger. That's what upsets me. Yeah. We know that they're going to be appearing on Runaways, which I'm excited about, especially considering that the first time I ever heard of the characters was while I was reading Runaways. I I was just going to bring that up, the fact that Cloak and Dagger and Runaways are having a crossover. So that says something. I don't know exactly what, but we'll see. And then on Discord, we heard from the Chris Farrell. (laughs) Uh, Let the revolution begin. and. He dropped a link in the chat from EW.com. Taika Waititi confirms Korg's glorious return for Thor Love and Thunder. He was on Jimmy Kimmel talking about his new movie, Jojo Rabbit. And at the very end of the interview, he mentions, my character is coming back. Korg. The audience starts cheering and he thanks them. I love Korg. I know there was a discussion on Discord about whether or not Korg ruined uh, the movies, but I'm a fan. He's fun. The thing that I love about the third Thor movie and everything like that is it's fun. I mean, it has its emotional moments, but I watch Thor Ragnarok when I want to be in a good mood. And a big part of that is the interaction with Korg. It is a good mood movie and it is a great balance to the dark world, which having now seen the latest Avengers movie with the infinity war, I think it is surplanted itself as a very important movie to see, but yeah, out of the two, I would still want to see Ragnarok more than not. And just to address the Korg, if you like him or if you don't like him thing, the Korg traversy, yeah, there you go. It's out there. And you just have to acknowledge the fact that some people like him and some people don't. I would not equate it to Jar Jar over in Star Wars because most people don't like Jar Jar. I'm actually in the opposite camp. I actually enjoy Jar Jar on screen, but I realize that 95% of the people don't like Jar Jar out there. I think Korg is more of a 50-50, whether you like him or not. Not everything is going to be for everybody, and that's fair to acknowledge. But... There's also, uh, kind of speaking of this, there was two items I didn't put in the news because they were further back than I was looking for news articles from, but they were both in regards to Thor, Love and Thunder. One of them is Taika mentioning that he's considering doing the whole Jane Foster breast cancer thing from the comic. That's one of the things that leads to her becoming the mighty Thor. And the other one is that Taika Waititi and Marvel Studios are still in discussion about whether or not to keep Thor's weight gain. <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting. Also, Taika Waititi is in The Mandalorian. So yes. I can't wait to see that. Yes, he's the voice of an IG unit. Uh, hashtag it's all connected. But yeah, with regards to Thor, I am in the let Chris Hemsworth eat a hamburger camp. He is a beautiful man, but it's not easy on men to do that okay it's not easy on anyone to do that shredded zero percent body fat look for movies and i'm i'm kind of in favor of just letting actors be healthy so oddly enough on twitter i follow chris hemsworth and i was watching some videos and i I could not see if the videos were done like currently or not but he was doing really intense circuits And I was looking at them going, dang, I mean, he was still stacked and everything. So if that's current, he's still capable of keeping up that physique, but it does take a ton of work. I have to admit, you know, yes, overweight Thor was was funny. And even I I laugh. But when I think about it, 
one of I think the best moments is when he's back in Asgard and he's talked to his mother and here he is in this this depressed state and he calls out to Monir and it comes to him and he's just like I'm still worthy it's just like that even at like his lowest point he was just still worthy of the hammer I like that moment I wonder how long we're going to have him in the universe anyway because we're at the point where he's now with the Asgardians of the galaxy and I don't I I don't know if we're going to get it another. I don't know, but I think it sounds like as long as it keeps being fun, because I think the problem that Hemsworth had previously was that the last couple of movies weren't fun and they didn't give Thor a lot to do, which is also the reason that uh, Natalie Portman didn't come back for Thor three. She was like, I had stuff to do. And then suddenly I'm the damsel in distress, the girlfriend. And now that she actually has a meteor plot, here she is coming back again. That's kind of the whole thing with these movies. Make them fun for the actors, and you're going to see that in the performance. Didn't she also have an issue with the director? I think with Thor 2, she was disappointed because Patty Jenkins had originally been supposed to direct, and she and Natalie Portman are friends, and Natalie had been wanting to work with her. And then... They threw out that treatment and brought in, I'm blanking on his name from Game of Thrones. So I think that kind of soured it for her. The fact that her role, instead of being interesting, was the girlfriend in distress. I can completely understand why she would be delusioned, disillusioned. She's a main character. I mean, she's her acting ability is main characterable, and act, uh, damsel in distress is not really fitting of her unless she wants to i mean even in the the walmart baby movie which i can never remember where the, the heart that, is where the heart is she's a strong main character in the end so yeah this woman is an oscar nominee give her oscar nominee roles i can't blame her for having to act opposite of christian haydenson hayden christensen see that's the point here is that <laughs> I am not impressed so much that I can never remember his name. Although I can never remember a lot of people's names. So there you go. Anyway, with that, with the, all the great feedback, thank you very much for sending it. Keep it coming in. We are actually really excited now because we talked about it beforehand. We're going to run off right now. We're going to book our voodoo tours down to New Orleans and get the heck out of here and get down to New Orleans right now. Thanks for watching and downloading this podcast. We really appreciate it, guys. If you want to hear more of stuff like this, let us know, and we will continue to do shows like this. Thank you to everybody who's interacted with us, whether it's on Twitter, on Discord, uh, anything. We love hearing from you. We love hearing your opinions. Even if they don't happen to match with our own, your opinions are valid. You are the one who knows how you feel. and. Yeah, just thank you guys so much. I'm happy to be back and recording with y'all. It's great. Nice to have you back, Lauren. Yes, thank you to everyone who listens, especially to episodes like these when it's half about the episode and half about random trips that we've taken. We really appreciate it when you listen to us ramble about things. That's what we do. We ramble about interesting things. And until next time, when we continue to ramble, I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Lauren. And I'm Agent Michelle. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. Next, this is the tour.
I remember because I put notes in there because I went to New Orleans and I've actually done the Laveau's tomb. Sweet. So cool. I get to talk about that then because I've been on a tour like that. I've only been to New Orleans once and it was for a brief period of time and I did not get to uh, do too much of anything. And it was way before Katrina. Was that the hurricane? Yeah. Got? It was way before Katrina. Yeah. So I know it's totally changed now. Yeah, it was, I think it was interesting. Yeah, I, Lauren's got the research. I've got the 16-year-old <laughs> conning her way onto a tour. That's, that's great, Which is amazing. <laughs> it probably yeah. happens more often than you think. I like that your mom disapproved. Mine. Oh, my Mine God. I, the I time would have been like... I didn't tell the rest of the story because the rest of the story is um, <laughs> not safe for broadcast. So eventually, like, she got into it. But then when we're on the way back, that look returned. And I knew that I was going to get in trouble, even though we're on vacation, I was going to get something and I had to come up with something. And, you know, finally we go and we go off and she's ready to say something. But you know that you have that moment, right? You just have that moment. And I go, mom, that museum, was and you know it. And she just <laughs> went, true, I don't ever do anything like that again. Okay. <laughs> so I saved myself and then we went and we got more beignets and it was good. <laughs> so it was before I was 16 because I wasn't driving yet, but my family, we took a trip out to the Black Hills in South Dakota and, and going from the Twin Cities out to Black Hills, it, we camped in a 1954 Hawthorne camper, which is basically a tent surrounding a four by eight trailer. And uh, so we're headed out there and from the moment that we crossed the border, maybe before we crossed the border into South Dakota, and this was after we saw the little um, little house on the prairie in, in Walnut Grove, Minnesota, we started seeing the signs, a wall drug, like 518 miles. I, I forget what the first one was, but I, I remember it being like 500 miles. So South Dakota is about 500 miles long. So the whole way, as we're going, we stopped at the giant corn palace in Mitchell, South Dakota. We stopped at Schmidt. <laughs> South Dakota, which is where a little house on the prairie actually went to the next place. We stopped at the Badlands, which are awesome. Oh, I mean, the bad awesome. Badlands to me are better than the Grand Canyon, but I mean, Grand Canyons uh, it can't compete with the Grand Canyon in terms of size. But Badlands have their own uh, unique part to it, and all the all the while you're seeing, you know, uh, Wall Drug, you know, mm-hmm. three hundred fifty miles, and then you see the cars that are coming back on the other side, or or you see them in parking lots as as you're doing the, the gas stops or whatever. They all have these green bumper stickers that said Wall Drug, or I've, I've been to Wall Drug, or or whatever. So Wall Drug for five hundred miles, it's like okay, we're we're, we're going to Wall Drug. I, I convinced my parents. My parents did not want to go to Wall Drug. I convinced my parents, let's go to Wall Drug, and it was it was a flea market basically. Yep. Oh and, my God. And yep. so, so we get there. Um, it, it was, it was interesting it, to this day. I don't go into flea markets, but it was interesting, you know, learning about what, what it was and everything. Remember I got my bumper sticker. Dad wouldn't allow me to put it on the car, <laughs> but I got the bumper sticker and that started me collecting bumper stickers from our family trips. And I, I'd never put them anywhere. As a matter of fact, I think the ones I have left are in a box in the garage and I need to get rid of them. But anyway, we, um, we we spent a couple hours there at Wall Drug, and it was like your twenty dollar dollar tour. It was free, but it was like your twenty dollar tour. It's like, okay, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a mall in the middle of nowhere, South Dakota. It's like, it, it you know the story's interesting. How you know the people bought the pharmacy, and then they thought they could do a, a you know, but then the road came and nobody came by, and then they put that sign out, free ice water, and then people came, and then. They just started selling stuff. You know, they lured people there with free ice water. And then they're like, here, buy some stuff. And that's what it is. <laughs> it's a mall with free ice water. <laughs> yeah, that's how it got a big, it's big start. And it is just a tourist attraction because they yep. put everybody that's going to the Black Hills and seeing Mount Rushmore and everything. You also go buy wall drugs. Yep. Uh, as far as a, a road stop, though, there's a place I can't remember what the name of it is off the top of my head. But in between the Twin Cities and uh, Duluth, there was a, a truck basically turned out to be a truck stop that did basically the same thing. And I, so I'd been there and done that before. But hey, you got to see it. Oh, I saw the biggest ball of twine, too, on that trip. 
that that was big for my <laughs> sister. I was like, yeah, okay, it's a big ball of twine. We can start putting shoelaces together and create our own. You know, it's not that uh, not that different. But anyway, uh, so sorry you paid twenty bucks for it, but the tour that I'm glad you got to see the tomb and and everything like that. So that was yeah. In the end, it was worth it. Yeah, there you go. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2019.